what is love? Is it a feeling or an experience? How does falling in love happen? Can we become addicted to the person we fall in love with? Why do we fall in love? Why is romantic love different from any other kind of love? And how is sexual bonding tied into falling in love? All of these questions I will be answering in today's episode of Polly in Real Life. So please keep on listening if you want to know more. There's going to be a lot of juicy information. I did a lot of research on studies that have been done and MRIs that have been done on people's brains, scans and things that show what parts of the brain light up when falling in love, why we fall in love, how we fall in love, the science of breaking up, um, how love evolves over time, and all of that juicy stuff. And at the end, I would like to um, leave you guys with a question to ask yourself. So go ahead and please keep on listening. This is episode number 11 of Polly in Real Life. topic is extremely fascinating to me. I love learning about how the brain functions, how it works, what triggers certain areas such as the reward centers in their brain, what chemicals are released during certain events or experiences, um, how your brain is connected to all of your functions in your body, including emotions, um, and all of that stuff. And one of the topics that I have been really interested in recently is love and attraction and sexual bonding and the chemistry that makes up these things and how these things can affect our behavior, our relationships, how we interact with other people and how we pretty much just work in that way. Um, It's super, super fascinating. So... The first thing I I would like to talk about is defining love. I feel like there's no set definition of love. I actually did an entire um, poll on my Instagram. It's in my highlights titled On Love, where I asked my followers to define love. And what was interesting, but also very predictable, is that everybody had a different definition of love. And that's because I truly believe that love is subjective. Love is what we make it. Love is based on what we believe love is, what we were conditioned to believe love is. And then we form these ideas and these beliefs around love based on experiences we've had that taught us this is what love is. And I know that can sound a little bit confusing and get kind of complicated at times, but I truly feel that love is subjective. When you look up the definition of love, it talks about it being this intense feeling, which I do agree. I do believe love is an emotion, but it's also actions, you know, because love is not just the feeling, it's showing the emotion. 
um, it's how we express love too that formulates this idea of love. But the one thing that I've learned is that love happens in the brain and not the heart. Although there can be a connection, it starts in the brain. And a lot of times we can't control it because there are so many factors that come into play. Um, So I did a little bit of digging and found some really, really fascinating information. Um, I, there's so much more, um, that I could talk about, but I kind of broke it down, grabbed the main points to make it easy to understand and absorb because it really is a lot of information. So I highly recommend that you, um, do some further research if this is a topic of interest for you and see how it applies in your own life. I think it's fascinating because you'll see as you're experiencing these things, it's so, I don't even know how to describe it. It's really cool to then experience love, falling in love, uh, sexual bonding, attraction, things like that, when you know what's happening in your brain. Um, So there are many different factors as to why we fall in love. And basically, there's, there's not a ton of studies done yet on why. Um, There's quite a few studies on how the process happens, but why is still kind of a mystery. Um, And basically, what I gathered from the information that I read is that it's more of a subconscious thing. It's not something that we can really control. Um, And this explains why we only fall in love with certain people and not every single person we interact with. So things such as physical appearance, social status, beliefs, how we grew up, etc. Plus then all of the chemistry that's happening in our brain, all of that works together. So our subconscious beliefs, which are ultimately neuropathways that have already been um, created in the brain that we don't really even know about, uh, work together with the conscious side of things to create this attraction and this love and this whole process. So hopefully you're still with me following along. Um, I'm going to try my best to not be all over the place because my notes are a little bit scattered. Um, So yeah, that's why we fall in love. There's still not a ton of information out there about why. But another thing I like to do is I like to um, think of human behavior in terms of survival and how would these behaviors help us survive and evolve? Um, and when you think of falling in love, uh, you can also think of it alongside mating and um, procreating in order to, you know, for the species to survive. So that can be another way to look at things. But I feel like that would be a whole other topic of research um, if, we're, if we really want to get to the exact point of why. So now I want to move into the process of falling in love and exactly what happens in our brains and our bodies. Everything's connected. Um, Once something happens in our, our brain, it triggers these responses in the body. And that's kind of, I feel like that's what most people think love is, is the responses 
that are happening in the body because of what's happening in the brain. Um, so I found this really interesting article on harvard.edu, and it talked about some MRI study, studies that were done in which some of the participants were shown different photographs of their partners, then they were shown photographs of friends, um, just to kind of differentiate which areas of the brain would light up when um, studying romantic love. And what they found is that pretty much the brain reacts to this kind of love in a crisis mode. So when we're falling in love, we're actually, our brain, our bodies are in a crisis mode. Um, cortisol level, which is a stress hormone, reaches a really high point when we're falling in love. Um, but then there are certain areas in the brain that are activated. So the reward circuit in the brain is activated, causing these feel-good hormones to also be produced, such as dopamine um, is one of the big ones. And this actually can cause a similar reaction in the brain as cocaine and alcohol. So the article said that it's basically all of these things activate the same area of the brain. You're just using a different pathway to get there. Let's see, what else do I have here? Um, so while the cortisol levels are rising, and this usually happens during the initial phase of falling in love, serotonin drops, which is what causes certain obsessive behaviors. So that's why we think about the person very often. We want to be with them often. We want to communicate with them often, all because there's almost this like chemical imbalance. You have cortisol that's really high, serotonin's really low. And not until we get that balanced out can we kind of be in a more space of rational thinking? So that's pretty much the basic, like the most basic key takeaway from this article that I got and um, all of the information that I found. But that's pretty much what's happening in your brain. It's almost like it's going into crisis. Um, and then your body responds to it with your heart rate goes up, you know, when you see this person, your palms get sweaty, you almost feel this anxiety. That's your body now reacting to what's happening in the brain. And um, so now I want to move on to answering a question that I was actually asked on Instagram. And that was, can we become addicted to the person we fall in love with? And my answer to that would be yes, it's definitely possible. When you look at it from this scientific perspective, um, of what's happening in the brain, if you're activating these rewards, these, these reward centers, that can become addictive, you know, constantly seeking that reward. And especially if you're releasing these hormones that are the same hormones released when we take drugs or alcohol. Uh, so it, there definitely is a potential to become addicted to this feeling, uh, maybe not necessarily the person, but to become addicted to these rewards. And, um, I mean, I guess it can become unhealthy to a point, um, but that also depends on your dynamic, you know, um, in an unhealthy dynamic, such as say like a narcissist, um, and then you have your other person who's like not in power of the situation, um, or when you're with an unavailable partner, uh, we fall into this category of what's called the um, 
time slot psychology. And I, I wrote a, a post about this a while back on my Instagram, but the basic, basic idea behind the time slot psychology is that I'm going to interrupt myself here for a second. Um, it, the proper term is game slot psychology, not time slot psychology. Whoops. This feeling that you get with, with another person is very similar to what you experience when you're playing a slot machine, uh, where you know you're not going to win every single time, but because you know that your reward is coming eventually, you keep on playing until you get that reward. So it's very similar um, the experience that you have with a partner who's feeding you rewards very randomly, very sporadically, um, and it keeps you hooked, it keeps you addicted because now you're just looking for that dopamine release, you're looking for that reward, and when, when the reward takes longer to get, when you actually get it, it activates those parts of your brain even more than if you were getting a consistent reward. Hopefully all that makes sense. But that's kind of a, a scenario in which you could truly become addicted to this person to the point where it's unhealthy. In this point, you know, the relationship, I would say, would be considered borderline abusive, you know, on a psychological and maybe emotional level. Um, it said, love is romantic love is merely an obsession. Again, because of these chemical imbalances happening in our brain and all of these neuropathways being fired up and um, the responses we have in our body and all of that, um, now we can move on to understanding what happens in the brain when we go through a breakup. So again, it's another chemical reaction that happens in the brain then when we go through a breakup. It's almost like the opposite is happening. Um, and I found an article on psychologytoday.com where they did some MRI scans, again, on, the, on people's brains who had just been through a breakup. They were shown photos of their exes, and they were shown photos of, I believe, their friends. And then they were also, um, their brains were also scanned when they were inflicted physical pain. One interesting thing that was found was that some areas in the brain that deal with physical pain lit up when these people were being shown pictures of their exes. So it's almost like our brain can't really tell the difference between physical pain and emotional pain. And I remember reading a while back an, an article about the science of breaking up in which they had participants take Tylenol or some kind of pain reliever for a certain amount of time, and then their brains were rescanned, and the results were that those areas of pain were no longer lighting up. So that was super interesting. I didn't look too much into that, um, and I'm not sure what the source was. I don't remember the website, but that was really, really interesting. So then some of the um, symptoms of a breakup, which most of us, I think it's safe to say, have been through, um, are craving for our partners. But what you're not, you're not really craving for that person. You're craving for the way they make you feel. You're craving that dopamine release. You're craving all those feel-good chemicals in your brain and those physical responses that you got from your partner or as a result of interacting and engaging with this partner. 
So it's almost like your brain is going through withdrawal, um, similar to being, you know, addicted to something and then not being able to have it. Um, But one really interesting thing that I read in this article is that our brains are actually wired for recovery. So there was an, they saw an increased activity in the area that regulates emotions. So this is your brain's way of kind of helping you get through this withdrawal and be able to regulate your emotions. Um, One thing, I didn't write these things down, but they did have a list of some of the ways to get through a breakup a little bit easier is to not look at photos of your ex or um, items or things that are connected to that person because then then you're kind of um, triggering your brain to release that dopamine, but then you realize you don't have that partner or that person and it can kind of further put you into this withdrawal mode. Um, so that was one way. And then they also suggested to get active and do activities such as running, hiking, like high-intensity workouts uh, because working out also releases feel-good chemicals in the brain. So that's kind of one way that you can deal with getting over the withdrawal. Um, One thing that I personally found helpful that I did um, with my last split or breakup, whatever, relationship transition is every time I found myself reminiscing, um, missing somebody, I made it a point to remind myself, like, no, this is not me really missing them. This is just my brain going through withdrawal because I don't have their messages anymore. I don't have interaction with this person. Like, So basically now you just have to find a new source of these feelings um, and kind of find a way to restabilize that imbalance that's happening in your brain. Um, And then another, I have a few other interesting points and that should be it with all of the scientific stuff. Um, So another important factor in falling in love is sexual bonding. So if you're interacting with somebody sexually, there are other chemicals that are released in the brain as well. So oxytocin is one of them. Um, It's released during sex and skin-to-skin contact. And what this hormone does, it it deepens the feelings of attachment. Um, And then there's another one that's also released called baspressin, I believe it's pronounced. And this one has to do with feelings of long-term attachment and oftentimes monogamy. So in the early stages, um, when we're physically interacting with people, that kind of reinforces all these other feelings that are happening from just the chemical attraction and feelings of love. And then when you put all of those together, then it's like this really, really intense experience and this, this pull to, to be with this person. All of, you have all of these little behaviors kind of um, ball up into one big, big thing and I think it's safe to say pretty much, yeah, it's true. Love does make us kind of crazy. But then again, this is something that just happens. You know, it just happens on its own. It's You can't really control it. You know, I don't think I, I've ever been in a situation where I could be like, okay, this person's going to provide this 
dopamine release for me in my brain right now and have that actually happen. Like there's so many subconscious factors that play into attraction and chemistry and why we're attracted to the people we're attracted to. Um, And that's the really fascinating part that I personally am interested in. It's like, why this person, but not this person? Then if you look at it from the perspective of like spirituality and vibration and energy, um, you know, I've heard the phrase of uh, you attract not what you want, but what you are in which you're attracting people who are at the same vibrational level as you. Um, I do think there's a little bit of truth to that. I don't know, but there's just so, I, I still feel like there's this entire area that hasn't really been discovered yet that will answer the why. And then something happens. So our brains don't stay that way forever. We're not experiencing this intense infatuation, this, um, this obsession forever um, because love changes because eventually your brain does level out and then you're no longer in that obsessive mindset. You're no longer like actively seeking it. You're still getting those feel-good hormones from being um, with this person, but you're not necessarily seeking it out as you would in the um, beginning stages of love. So we first go from the really intense, passionate love, then um, you go into the more romantic love, which is, you know, you're, you're kind of leveling out, you're slowing down, but you're still really connected, really attached. Um, at this point, you're still very physically interactive as well. And then you move into a compassionate love, which is more long-term. So this is going to be your couples that have been together for 10, 20, 30 years. They're in this more compassionate uh, state of love. And I feel like at this point is when you start to feel like maybe you're falling out of love, which is definitely possible um, in some ways. But I did read that there are ways to get back to the romantic, back to the passionate love. So there are ways to get back to those phases, maybe not to the intensity that they were at the very beginning because life circumstances and other things make it a different experience. Um, And you already know so much about this person, you've experienced so much about this person. So I think that can also interfere with being able to go back to that almost blind love where you just jump right in It's very obsessive, very um, carefree, almost like blind, blind jumping, blind faith. Um, So ways that you can kind of hack falling out of love is through um, physical contact. Because like we said previously, when um, you're having sex with someone or you're having skin to skin contact, that love hormone oxytocin is released, the vaspressin is released, which deals with long-term feelings and attachment. So even by just simply um, making an effort to be physical again can kind of reignite some of those um, neuropathways in the brain. And it definitely is possible to stay in love with someone for a really long time. 
Um, there were also studies done on people who have been together for a really long time. They were shown pictures of their significant others, and those parts of their brain were still lighting up. Other people, not so much. So I think, again, love is so different for everybody. Like, the foundation of it is the same. The, what happens in the brain is the same for everybody, but I think on a different intensity level. And um, it's really interesting. It's super fascinating at how love evolves, how it begins, how it ends. And then it's really interesting at how um, romantic love is different from the love that you have for your friends or your family. It doesn't become this obsessive love. And I don't know that there's really... I didn't do a whole lot of research on why that is. I don't know if there are many studies out there for that. It's definitely There's definitely still a lot of things that I have to look into, of course. But I wanted to just kind of give you guys the basics and answer some of these common questions that people have about love. And I think, I don't know, I think romantic love ultimately, ultimately has to do more with that primal um, instinct you know, because at the end of the day, we're, we're animals and we're just looking to mate. Whether we are actually trying to or not, that's what we were wired to do. And um, so that's kind of my theory, my answer for this. And then I did want to talk and touch base on NRE because I do want to tie this all into polyamory and non-monogamy. So NRE, if you haven't heard of it, it's new relationship energy. And this is a very heightened experience. Sometimes can be very blinding or it can cloud your judgment. Um, this happens very early on before you get um, into the more serious part of the relationship with someone. It's infatuation. It's very, very similar to falling in love. And it also la can last just as long as that falling in love honeymoon period. The only thing with NRE is that if you're in a relationship with multiple people, it can then affect, you know, your behaviors because you're experiencing this NRE, it can affect your other relationships. So you got to be aware um, this is a good time to communicate with your partners and for them to communicate with you about your behaviors and just have an open, healthy discussion. I think during this time to... If you know what's happening in your brain, if you know what NRE is and you've experienced before, what it feels like, um, then I think after that it's a little bit easier to kind of manage it and not let it take control over your behavior, take control over your thoughts and your life to the point where it's going to affect your other relationships. But I personally love the feeling of NRE and I try to make it last as long as I possibly can, but it's it's great. It's like this high and nobody can stop you and you're just like invincible kind of thing. Um, I don't know. I love it. And you feel really connected to this person. Um, the only thing is that, you know, if your judgment is clouded and they're really not that great of a person, unfortunately, you're going to have a hard time seeing those red flags. And I think a lot of times people are really hard on themselves at first, you know, or after the fact, you know, if a relationship doesn't work out, then you go back, you know, and, and kind of beat yourself up like, oh, I should have seen it. I should have known. Like, 
Well, you really wouldn't have been able to, you know, because you have all these things happening in your brain, in your body that kind of took over and you weren't in your rational mind. So I think we have to kind of give ourselves a little bit of grace in those situations and practice self-forgiveness about not seeing some of the red flags because our brain was preoccupied with other things and not so much on seeking out, you know, whether this situation was, was a danger. So now that we know what is happening when we're falling in love, when we're in love, now that we know how love evolves, um, I think this is concrete evidence that it's possible to fall in love with more than one person and that it really isn't this crazy idea or this crazy thing because there are so many people out there experiencing this. Um, because again, there's so many factors that go into why we fall in love and there are factors of, you know, why we fall in love with one person and then why we fall in love with another person. Um, so I think this really is a great example of, you know, what happens with polybrains. I think it would be really interesting to study people in polyamorous relationships and see, what their brains are like. I think that would be really, really fascinating to get studies done in alternate relationships and have a little bit more information about how love works. And, um, you know, one thing that I read was about the vast Preston hormone and how that's the one that deals with um, monogamy and long-term relationships. You know, maybe those of us who are poly are, are people who have less of that so we're not so um, drawn to long-term monogamous relationships. I don't know. This is all hypothetical. I'm just kind of thinking out loud at this point because I already went through my notes. But I do want to talk about one last thing that I have talked about on my Instagram page. I did a couple posts about it and a story polls and all of that. Um, and that is friends with benefits or relationships in which um, you go into not wanting to fall in love. And I guess my viewpoint is that falling in love is a risk you're taking. Um, and people may have, you know, they have their own reasons why they don't want to fall in love. And that's totally fine. It's, you know, a very individual decision. But I think you have to understand that, all of these things are happening in your brain that you can't control. All of these things that are happening, a lot of them are on a subconscious level and you're not able to see until they've already happened. Um, so I think the only way to keep yourself from falling in love is to not engage with anybody. <laughs> you know, keep yourself in a bubble and don't engage with people. And that sounds really silly because it is. <laughs> um so I guess that's just the risk we take when we go into any kind of romantic arrangement. Whether it's a committed relationship or not, you're risking this firing up happening in your brain. So I want to leave you with a question to ask yourself. Um, because I've, I've heard this, I've actually said this to people before I knew what exactly it you know, love, falling in love entails and what happens. Um, 
on a chemical level. And I've seen people say this a lot, you know, um, especially when people are like, you you go on dating apps and some people are like, oh, just, just looking for fun, nothing serious. Um, so basically you're asking the other person to not fall in love with you or to not develop feelings for you. But you're really asking them to deny themselves of something, you know, and it's really hard, I think, to control what happens. So I want to leave you with this question. Is it really fair to ask yourself or someone else to not fall in love when it's something that we can't? And some people may disagree. Some people do feel like they have total control of who they fall in love with, how they fall in love, and all of that, and that's fine. But in my personal experience, I've never had control over who I'm attracted to or who I fall in love with. So for me, it really isn't fair. I couldn't ask somebody to fall in, to not fall in love with me. I couldn't ask myself, oh, you have to go into this arrangement knowing that you can't fall in love. Because then... In my opinion, that creates a guard. Then you put up a wall, and I think that can create some problems later on in the relationship. So for me, I would rather go into an arrangement knowing it is what it is in that moment, but also being open to it unfolding in the way that it's supposed to, in the way that it will unfold. Um, Because I've had experience with people, experiences with people who... I wanted to have deeper feelings for them and I just didn't. And there's other people who I didn't want to have feelings for them and I did. So it's something that I feel like I can't control. And I think many of us can't control. Although we like to think we have control, a lot of times we don't. And I think when you're answering this question to yourself, um, there is no right or wrong answer. So there's no need for self-judgment because, again, we loop back around to the point we started with. Love is a subjective thing. Love is what you make it. Love is what you believe it is. Um, There's many different levels to it, and that's okay. Everybody will experience love differently, and I think that's kind of the beauty of it because then we can share all of those experiences with each other and grow and expand. I would say for a shorter episode, we got a lot of information in here, a lot of really fascinating information um, that I'm really happy we have access to. Um, But I do want to leave you with one more thing. Um, In my show notes, I have a link that will give you a coupon code for at-home STD and STI testing. There's this really simple way to do it. You click the link, you order your test kit. They have a ton to choose from. You can test for one individual thing or you can do multiple um, things that you want to test for. So you just order your kit, um, collect your sample, then ship your sample back. And within just a few days, you have your results in your email or a text And that's it. And then you can move on based off of your results. So the tests are from uh, Everly Well. And I have personally used these tests. This is now my go-to method of testing for STDs and STIs because it's super discreet, very easy and simple. 
and it's actually more cost effective. So if you want to save money, make sure that you use the link in the show notes. And lastly, you guys can find me on Instagram at the Polly Pocket. For those of you who want more explicit, exclusive content, such as teaser videos, um, daily photos, and other types of posts, you can subscribe to my OnlyFans. I'm usually running a promo, and um, so you can find me on OnlyFans.com slash Naughty Polly. I hope to interact with you there or on Instagram. I really appreciate you being here and listening today. If you like this episode, please share with your friends. You can also support the show by submitting a one-time donation or a reoccurring donation. Again, that is also linked in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. This was Polly and Mike.